Welcome to People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose. People of Purpose is a podcast of inspiring people whose stories help you see things differently, live with intentionality, elevate the way you participate in the world, and take the necessary leaps in your life to seek and find your passions. Come with us and develop the courage to wholeheartedly pursue your purpose and unleash your truest potential. I think faith is way more powerful than people think it is. It's a real force. If you're in trouble, try it. Just say, help, S-O-S, I need help. For me, it sounds very simple, but it's true. It's living your vision every moment. So there is no difference between, you know, people say they have their ordinary life and their religious life, but there is only one life. I realized that for my bedroom, I can actually share with people all across the world. Even when people are not religious, we will live on forever. What they're overlooking is that where they are is where their purpose is, and that's why they've been placed there. But we should drop the negative talk, and we should do what we would like to happen. And the moment you start writing it down, then somehow it becomes real. Mimi Emanuel writes on health, faith, and book publishing, and is the author of various books, including Live Your Best Life by Writing Your Own Legacy. After decades of working in the corporate and medical field, Mimi's life and health crumbled and fell into a big heap due to burnout. It took various medical emergencies before she started paying attention to the nudging of her guardian angel. His prompting brought on a career change and helped Mimi write six books in quick succession. She is now living her dream as an author. Her first book, My Story of Survival, aims to help inspire and encourage people who experience serious health issues. She wrote this book after she suffered major medical emergencies and survived due to a miraculous diet garnished with oodles of faith. Mimi's second and fourth books, Mimi's Book Launch Plan and the Holy Grail of Book Launching, were written as a thank you to her launch team. In this book, she shared all her secrets to help support entrepreneurs, mompreneurs, fellow writers, self-publishers, and indie authors. God Healed Me and its accompanying journal were written to give credit and thanks to her creator for her healing and to make prayer time easier for her readers. Mimi confesses to getting a solid kick up the bum from her guardian angel and explains how and why this happened in her sixth book, Live Your Best Life by Writing Your Own Legacy. She's currently writing How I Broke My Back in Three Places and Why This May Be a Good Thing. This life-altering event occurred earlier this year and is turning her life over for the better. Mimi likes nothing better than helping her readers turn their story into a fabulous legacy, making it the very best it can be. She lives with her family in a treehouse overlooking the bay in Queensland, Australia. Mimi works with her recliner with industrial strength ear muffers on, and this is how she's become an international best-selling author and popular inspirational speaker with her books ranking number one bestsellers in over 40 categories. Interviewing Mimi Emanuel was a wonderful experience. She's a lovely, lovely woman. I love her message of faith, and her Christianity is just so pervasive throughout this interview. I think that Part of what makes her a person of purpose is that she lives her vision every moment and that's how it continues to come true.
She talks about as a writer, once you write down what that vision is, it's going to come through as long as you continue to have faith that that vision is something that is part of your walk or your purpose. I love her writing process, how she explains the way that these physical injuries that have severely set her back and nearly killed her have now allowed her to become an excellent writer and have the discipline to find a spot on her couch, put on her mufflers, as she calls them, and write. And the amount of books she's written is just incredible. She also has this very sweet demeanor. The way that she mentors, the way that she teaches, coaches, and inspires, just so soft and gentle. And it's just really refreshing to experience that throughout the interview. There will be some places where you'll be able to hear her daughter Sunshine in the interview, who was with her, and it was very interesting and very cool to see their dynamic play out. And you can just tell that Mimi is a very, very caring person and an excellent mom. And for anyone that she influences, I know that they're going to grow into a more purposeful self. And I'm really thankful to have had her on the podcast for all of those reasons. I'm really excited for the day when I can visit her in Australia. She offered that after the interview, and that's going to be an amazing day when that comes. I've never been to Australia, and now I have a place to stay. So thank you, Mimi, for that. Mimi afterwards suggested amazing guests for me as well to interview and for us to listen to. So there's a lot to be thankful for in this interview. I know that you're going to enjoy this wonderful interview with today's lovely person of purpose, Mimi Emanuel. Hello, Mimi. Welcome to People of Purpose today. Uh, hi, Tenai. Thank you for having me. So you're in Australia. I'm in California. It's wonderful to get to connect to you. I just spent a little bit of time researching what it is you're doing, and I know that you were referred to me by a previous podcast guest, Mikhail Staviki, I think is how you say his name. Mm-hmm. And he was just telling me that you are this amazing person of purpose, that you're truly inspiring. So Obviously, I said yes to interviewing you. As I was doing research, I realized that you had this very traditionally successful life where you were married, you had two kids, you were doing medical practice in these clinics, and then things took a turn. And it reminds me a little bit about my story, about how initially it seems like this really bad thing has happened around physical health, and then it kind of nudges you into purpose. I'm really excited to kind of break down what you're doing now because there's so much overlap with what I'm doing. I'm very excited. Okay, bring it on. (laughs) Yeah. So I want to know when you had this lifestyle going on where you seemingly like made it, you were doing this traditionally successful life, how did this start to unravel and how did that unraveling nudge you into being more of a person of purpose? How did it unravel? I thought at the time that I was living my purpose, I was managing clinics, I was helping my husband who was a doctor to help all these patients get better and make sure that everything ran smoothly. And so to me, that was a very worthwhile thing to be doing, raising my family. Everything was going along nice or so I thought, but it was really overwhelming to manage three clinics as well as do all the other things. And even though I did courses and I learned how to do it, In the end, I burnt out. It's partially because I'm the kind of person I'm very passionate. So whatever I do, I do 100,000%. And I still haven't quite learned not to do that. It's just who I am. But so I completely burnt out. 
And that was that. I couldn't keep doing it. I couldn't think straight. I didn't even realize I burned out. I thought, oh, I just need some time out. I'll go and visit my family in Queensland, which is about a day's travel from where we live. And that's how it started to unravel because I never went back. I did, you know, my husband and I communicated. It wasn't like I just jumped, skip or left. But I said, I need some time out. And I did. And I just never managed to get back on because I ended up eventually with serious health problems. Wow. So you took off and you never came back. <laughs> That's right. It, I, I did, you know, truth be told, I did go back little trips here and there and say, how can right. I help and what can I do? But I simply wasn't capable. It was too stressful. The relationship crumbled as a result of my illness. My illness was not really defined other than severe burnout. I was basically sitting up at night, still trying to do the books, you know, waking up early in the morning, taking care of the kids, the stresses that come with running a clinic. I guess even though it felt to me at the time as if I was living my purpose, ultimately, I don't think it was. How would you have defined your purpose at that time? Helping others is what I would have said. I would have said, I just like to help others. As simple as that. Mm. So you were helping others, helping others, and you ultimately weren't doing enough to help yourself. That's right. That's the thing. And that's a big lesson for a lot of us, you know, particularly if you're out of focus, if your main drive is how can you be of service, how can you help someone, you obviously have to factor yourself in somewhere there. And I wasn't very good at that at all. I still am not very good at it, but I'm learning. <laughs> yeah. Was there anything or anyone at that time that gave you permission to factor yourself in, as you said, and more hardly seek your purpose? Not really. I think for a lot of us, we just have to grab it, really, don't we? We have to say, okay, this is my time. Okay, this is for me. No, there wasn't. My health just, yeah, crumbled. And that was brilliant. That helped me. Had my health not crumbled, I don't know, I would have still been there probably. What happened with your health? What happened with my health? Well, initially I wasn't quite sure what was going on, but I knew that I couldn't keep going. At some stage I had problems just standing up. It's called orthostatic intolerance. The medical profession is unsure about what it is. It could be something to do with your spine. It could be something to do with your blood pressure. It could be something to do. There's a whole range of possibilities. But for me, where it manifested was that I couldn't stand up for more than like 10, 15 minutes at a time. And then I had to lay down. What was the question again, Tanner? Just tell me about what happened to your health. You mentioned that. Right. So eventually I ended up laying in bed, not doing very well. Then we had to move. And as we moved, the same day I arrived in the house that I still live in now, my appendix ruptured. Wow. And yes, I was taken to the hospital, taken to the emergency ward. And what had happened, I had developed septicemia. And because of the septicemia, the doctors decided they wouldn't operate. So instead, they put me on antibiotics. However, I couldn't tolerate the antibiotics. So after a week, the doctor said, why don't you go home? And when you get better, we will operate on you. Well, when I got home, they'd given me antibiotics, which I couldn't take because I wasn't able to tolerate them. So I was basically just dying. My girls phoned around town, but we were new in town. We'd only just arrived a week ago. And no doctor wanted to come out. They all said, I'll oh, put your mom in an ambulance and the hospital will take care of her. But they had just kicked me out. So that wasn't working. And then my daughters found a homeopath, a lovely man who prescribed Perigen and Cleavers. And those are two remedies that will clear infection. It worked to some extent, but it took probably about a year before I could 
get up from bed. I was just in bed. Initially, I couldn't even tolerate water. So in my world, what got me through was the praying. My girls prayed, I prayed, because that was it. And the Parisian and the cleavers. And that's what got me back up and running. Right. Hmm. So as you were in this situation, I'm hearing that you weren't able to solve this problem from the outside. So then you went inside and you prayed. Yep. What do you think is so effective about prayer that allowed this to start to take care of itself? I think faith is way more powerful than people think it is. It's a real force because, you know, people sometimes go, oh, faith, you know, people have faith. But in my world, there was literally nothing else there. The homeopath came about because of prayer, because we didn't know what to do. So we prayed. And then my girls were guided to phone him. So he came and he gave those two remedies. And then whatever I did after that, it all came through prayer. There was no one there because a family wasn't really available because I'd moved town and I lived away from family, hours or day drives away. And we prayed. And then during prayer, there was a remedy that came to my mind, such as it said something like, God says E. And I thought, what's that? And I looked around and on my night table, I had golden seal extract. And I go, that must be it. God says E. And it said three times three or six times three. I can't quite remember now. And I go, what? I had tried the golden seal extract, which is supposed to clear infections, but I hadn't been able to tolerate it. It gave me massive migraines. But then when it said six times three, I said, ah, I need to take it six times a day and three drops at a time. And that way I could tolerate it. And so step by step, little by little, I got all these insights that came through prayer, the power of faith, and that got me back up and running. It took a while, but yeah, that's what happened. I love that. And I agree. Like When you say you got insights and then it got you moving. Mm. Yeah, today we do this Wellness Wednesday things with People of Purpose. My team makes them up and then I do a Facebook Live and it's a little uncomfortable for me because I have to share exactly how I do that wellness thing. Mm-hmm. Today's topic was about how we maintain calm and mindfulness and focus when we're in the midst of chaos and drama and busyness. And I said something about how you have to allow the space for insight. And that goes with rest, with going internal, with asking for guidance like prayer. And I think that once you have those pathways available for your creativity to blossom, then you start to build momentum and give yourself confidence and then you keep going and going and going and it's super powerful. How did this process turn into more than just taking care of your health? Did Mm. prayer start to take Mm. care of other areas of your life too? Yes, uh, just an aside here, what actually happened was I grew up a Christian, then I married an atheist and then... After that, not at the same time, but after that, I married a Buddhist. And so I wasn't sort of practicing my faith the way I grew up. And then when I fell ill, my childhood faith came back to me, the Christianity. And then for me, I recognized that. That was very powerful. And I'm sorry, I lost the question again. I just wanted to mention that as an aside. Uh, Thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, I was asking about how this effectiveness of prayer spilled over into other areas of your life to affect your purpose. That's correct. Well, when you say spilled over, that became my life, really. That was my guidance because when my appendix ruptured, there literally wasn't anyone really around other than my children and me. It was the three of us. And so I needed guidance and that's where I got it. And it became like an ongoing conversation, like 
but Lord, what do I do now? Because I'm stuck and I don't know where to go and what to do. And the answer would always arrive, be it in a dream, in thoughts, in knowing at the same time, like, yeah, that's it, that's it. And then if I were to get stuck again, I say, but can you help me please? Because I'm stuck again and I don't know where to go. I don't know which way to go. Can you please guide me or nudge me or make it very, very clear? And every single time it works. And so they became stronger and stronger. And in the end, it wasn't just my health, it was also everything, my daily life, whatever I do. And not to mention the kick I got up my ass from the garden angel. <laughs> yeah. So how does it work? Can you make it more like an example that we can understand? Okay. All right. When we arrived in emergency, this is what happened. I couldn't actually walk down the stairs because my appendix was rupturing, unbeknownst to me. And when the ambulance officers came, they told me that I had to make my own way down the stairs, which I really couldn't do. So I sat on my bum and I sort of slid down the stairs. And then they put us in the ambulance, or me. They said my daughters couldn't come, but they didn't have a driver license. So my eldest daughter said, yes, we will. And they squeezed into the ambulance and it didn't make the ambulance officers very happy. By the time we got to the hospital... The whole atmosphere was quite dire, like literally it felt like I was dying. People weren't very friendly. And I was placed with my head right next to a big aircon or a fridge or whatever that made a lot of noise, which I couldn't tolerate. And we are laying there and before they could get me a bed. And we were laying at the, just in the admission ward. No one had seen me yet or spoken to me. And we waited and waited. And I, really, I just literally felt my life was slipping away. And I started singing. We do scripture songs. And it went like, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Oh, sing unto the Lord all the world. That's it. And then it went on. And we sang. And as we sang, people got irritated by it. But they walked up to us and they got my whatever. Yeah, we were three verses in. And they wheeled me through the wards, and I never was sort of going through the normal admission. And then they got me a bed, and that was that. And so we were basically singing praises. We were saying, thank you, Lord, for helping us. Thank you. And so that's practical how that worked for me there. Hmm. Right. And then now that you're in a better and better position, how do you tell that story in a way that makes people not think, oh, she's a special person. Maybe she is an angel herself and was able to get this special healing. How do you make people relate to that and go for that in their own life? If Say they're maybe not a person of faith or a Christian at this point. I think some people get scared by the word God. They think, you know, I have people around me whom I love dearly, and but I can't mention the God word because they find it scary for whatever reason. And so I say, well, maybe there's a force in the universe that listens when we have needs and maybe the force will respond. And you don't have to call that force God. It doesn't matter. Some people just simply say the universe or the good forces. And so if you're aware of that, it's, it's very practical in a way that if we want something really badly, we work towards it and then we get it. But in the same way, if you don't know what you want, but you need help and you cry out, there is energies that come and help you. In my world, that's God, his angels. And it works. It's never not worked. And so I say to people, try it. If you're in trouble, try it. Just say, help, S-O-S, -S, I need help. 
and make sure you send it to the good forces. And I'm near enough guaranteed you will get a response. Yeah. There is some formula to that. Do you want to hear that? Yes. Yeah, well, the formula that I came up with, and that's pretty much from reading scripture and reading what other people have done and what worked for them, it is don't be arrogant about it. Be humble. Say, look, I can't do this on my own. Can you please help me? But as well as being humble, be bold as well. Say, I know you can do this, so please listen to my voice. And then be truthful. Don't be, you know, only when you really need help. Don't be silly. Don't say, oh, I want to buy a new dress. Can you help me, please? You know, it's for things you can't organize yourself. Have the faith that it will happen. Believe it will happen. It happened to me. I'm nobody. If it happened to me, it'll happen to anyone else too. And then you have to trust and believe it'll happen. And you have to ask according to the good forces of the universe. Don't ask anything that's against it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so line it up with what's good, not just for you, for everyone around you. Say, may this happen, please, for the benefit of all those around me and myself. Yeah. Wow, a lot of this is speaking to me. I, I do all these things as well. Sometimes uh, <laughs> I'm shy to say these to people because it sounds like I'm a crazy person, but yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, call it what you want, like law of attraction or connection with higher source power or um, alignment with God or whatever, like you want to call it. It's a real thing. I agree with you. And mm -hmm. I like how you said it takes humility and then it takes boldness and it takes honesty and truthfulness. Like that combination is so successful in anything you apply it to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I just love that that's what you go to as your cure-all, as your pathfinder. And I do the same mm. as, as you. And it works. And I think the word Christian is a bit scary. To be honest, I hardly ever call myself a Christian because if I were to sell, call myself a Christian, that means that I'm following Jesus. And I wish, you know, I wish because he totally sacrificed his life for everyone. And I'm not there. I'm I'm not even halfway there. So I feel like a bit of a hypocrite. And I think that's what people think. They look at Christians and they go, well, you're a bit of a hypocrite. <laughs> and I go, yeah, well, that's where I'm sitting. So I daren't even call myself a Christian. But I do love the Bible. I do love scripture. And I totally believe in God and his son right. and call on him all the time. Yeah. Right. So when you're doing this Christianity or whatever you want to call it, how do you balance allowing God to guide you? with committing to something that you've already had a conviction towards as your path? Where do you leave openness for spontaneity and kind of freedom of newness versus I need to be disciplined and focused on the path? For me, it sounds very simple, but it's true. It's living your vision every moment. So there is no difference between, you know, people say they have their ordinary life and their religious life, mm -hmm. but there is only one life. There's only a difference in how I speak about it with various people because it's not always well accepted. But there is no, when you say, how do you balance allowing God to guide us? He's always guiding me. I'll give an example, which is really very funny <laughs> example, I think. You know how we're supposed to tithe yeah. and you're supposed to give 10% of your income to the church. So I thought, well, I'll tithe. So I gave, 
I can't quite remember what came first. I decided to give every $10 I had to, you know, good courses such as donate to hungry children, you know, building water wells or whatever. Or if I decided to do $5, not quite sure. But I thought every $5 will go to good causes. I would give out a $50 note and I would get back only $5 notes. And that kept happening. So my purse was overflowing with $5 notes. And I go, I can't do this. This is crazy. There's no money left for me to live on. So I thought, you know what? I'll do $10 notes. So I did $10 notes. Exactly the same thing happened. Whatever money I would give, I would only get back $10 notes and coins. And I go, well, I can't live like this because all my money. And then I thought, you know what? I'll just give all my money is yours. Whatever I have, it's yours. Why tithe? I'm yours. Take it. I don't care. And I haven't had a money worry in the world since because, you know, his purse is always full. And if my purse is his purse, so it's like that. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. What do you mean that you haven't had a money problem since? Like you hit the lottery afterwards or or does it just mean like you have a peace (laughs) of mind around money? No, actually, I have a very small income that I live on. And, but quite comfortably, it's small, it's not large, but it's enough. It's enough to pay the bills, it's enough to eat, it's enough to, you know, drive a car, do what I need to do. And so I don't need a massive amount of money. And I donate on a regular basis, but yeah, there's enough to donate, there's enough, there's enough. And to me, that's all I want. I don't want, I don't need more surplus. Because all the surplus I get, I give away. So give me lots and I'll give lots away. <laughs> I don't have stacks, but I have enough. So when you're giving lots away and you're donating for God, you were doing that before, but once you did just all of it, you were fully able to let go of your attachment to that. That's when you started to receive the... Um, the confidence that you can continue to give it away and that it will always come in the abundance that you need according to the lifestyle you're living or yeah is that right that's exactly it that's exactly it and funnily enough it actually came about through not being well that there was support for me and the support is sufficient to keep me going and to be able to do that and to write the books and I've never, my focus never in my life has been to earn money. My focus always has been more to, you know, live a life that's worth living. So, but it's fine now. So I do have that income. And I, Sunrise wants to say something here. He just asked earlier about how do you keep focused on your direction at the same time as allowing God to guide you. So you don't get like, well, this is my purpose and today I need to achieve this. And you need to allow God to come in and maybe change your plans while staying on the same direction. And it's just something that you always do. And I think it's so second nature and habit that maybe you sort of forgot to address it is you always pray and you have this prayer where you say like, guide me according to your will. And that's in the Bible, what Jesus prayed too. He said like, I want something, but I need it to be according to your will. Like use me for your job. And that's what you pray about when you make decisions and you're like, well, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to focus on, but guide me according to your will. And like you pay attention if something changes and there's the natural flow to things. And sometimes new ideas come in, you go, well, maybe that's really important. And when you get distracted from your task, you always turn around and you tell me, well, 
this is my purpose too. You know, maybe I'm not doing what I said I would do today, but hey, it's really important for me to take time out and talk to my daughter or talk to somebody else because that's also my purpose. And so if you feel you're being distracted, it's just saying, you know, or somebody saying you need to put a bit of attention here too. You know, don't be too dogged about it. Right. Yeah, thank you. I totally see that. Thank you for sharing. And sounds mm-hmm. like Mimi has done a great job at raising you to be a person of purpose already. Yeah. <laughs> I just copied it. <laughs> uh, so, but we, we all, like my pushback is we have personality tendencies. And your tendency before was, like you said, do 100,000%. Yes. What's going to prevent you from doing 100,000% even if it is all purposeful? Like, How can you say yes to all these causes and purposeful people and responsibilities that you want to take on would you find yourself falling back in the same traps or this time are you able to slow down and be more intentional and diligent about following through how do you balance that tendency that you had before to burn out it's actually my Achilles heel. It's not my strong point. I wish I was better. I need to learn to be better. I study what other people do in theory. I get it. But yeah, I keep crashing and picking myself up. It's one of my worst habits. I just go, 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 crash. Go, 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 crash. <laughs> I know it's not good. I'm laughing, but it's not funny. It's what I do. And the only thing is, as I get a bit older, I become a little bit more gentle with myself and I go, no, you can't do that. It's for instance, I told you I recently broke my back. So now I want to get back up. And so I decided I'm going to go slacklining. Do you know what slacklining is? Yeah. 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 So everyone around me, they tie me to the bed and they say, you cannot slackline. And I go, okay, that's okay. What I want to do is stand up pedal surfing. And they say, no, you cannot do that right now. So then I said, all right, I'll do battle rope. Do you know what battle rope is? They no, do I don't know that one. Oh, you should look into it. It is brilliant, particularly for someone as young as you. It's beautiful. You do it for like one minute a day, and that's all your exercise taken care of. It's a rope. It's probably about five or six meters long. You wrap it around a pole. You take one side of the rope in each hand. And then you go up and down with the rope. You do it for a minute. That's that. it. That's I it. That. I go. Do that. I do that in the gym, like as much as I can. If they have what it. Do you, what do you it call it? Space. I don't know the name of it. I think battle rope is probably an appropriate name. I've never yeah, so, heard the name of it. How good is that? How good is that? Oh. It's brilliant. It's everything. Yeah, you grip hard. You swing. You have to have a rhythm to it. It creates these beautiful waves. Thank you. You get Absolutely. the squat position. It's, a it's all. Oh, it's beautiful. It's all I want to do. And do you think they will let me do it? No, not allowed to do that. So I sneak out when no one's there. I do a few minutes and I crash. And they come and they stand around me and they tell me off and they say, I'm a really bad person. I'm not allowed to do it. So the plan now is, and this is where I've learned, we've gone to a gym and I asked for an exercise physiologist to help me build up enough strength so that I can do that. So you see, I am learning. Was before I would have kept going and potentially do more damage. Now I'm actually going to people more knowledgeable than myself and ask for help. So I'm learning slowly. (laughs) I love it. How is taking care of your health correlated with purpose? (sighs) I don't know. How is it correlating with purpose? Um, 
I'm asking just because it's a common thing that comes up with about every guest is people of purpose tend to put an emphasis on taking care of the health and making sure that they are eating right, are having good mental habits. Or Oh, I do that. Actually, I see what you mean. Yes, it's become such second nature. I don't even realize it. I eat very, very, very clean. Mm-hmm. And my meals are very easy to prepare, very quick, very wholesome. They, you know... I only eat vegetables and clean fish, and but I like that. The only reason I like it is because it's what I can tolerate. If I were to, you know, if I were to get stuck in ice creams, so I can have an ice cream every now and then, but I couldn't have it every day. It would make me very ill. So I eat very clean. I drink very clean, just water. At the moment, I drink a smoothie. Can I advertise or not? It's very good. <laughs> <You know? laughs> It's a health smoothie. There's many poor minerals and vitamins in it. I love it because when you take it, you feel all happy because of the minerals and the vitamins in it. And it fills you up. So drink a smoothie. I have hibiscus tea and hawthorn tea, everything organic, water, fresh water, maybe a little bit of Himalayan salt in it. That's it. That's it. There's nothing else I eat. That's it. Easy and clean. Mental health every morning, you know, you see some 23 is part of my logo. So I remind myself who is in charge, who takes care of me, you know, that I don't need to have fears for anything because he's there for me. There's nothing I need other than what I have. And so that's my focus for the day. And that's how I keep, yeah, so that's how it correlates. But it's so one of me that when you say, how does it correlate with your purpose? I go, well, that's just what I do. It's not conscious at all anymore. It's completely second nature. Right. And I love, yeah, I read Psalm 23, one through six, as your logo says. Mm. People can see that on the Instagram when we publish this episode. It's published also on the Instagram. That's a really neat verse there because it's almost allowing people to step completely out of all anxieties and fears and doubts and nervousness and worry and just asking you to just trust that you always have enough that god will always provide enough and i think that at some level that resonates to everybody but Hmm. we always tend to overcomplicate our life and you know like i think before we were doing the interview when we were not recording you mentioned about how people are looking for what they can get out of the world rather than what they can give to the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that this sort of orientation from this verse inspires you to input into the world rather than to seek more and more out of it because you already have enough. Exactly. What can you give? Exactly. Yes. And that's, I think, a common theme to have peace in your life is to embrace the life you have rather than go looking for one. And I think it's very common, particularly nowadays, people, they all want to find themselves and, you know, find their purpose. But I go, you're already living your purpose. All you need to do is fine tune it because you were placed in a position where you are for a reason. Yeah. That's kicked up the butt about giving to somebody else. And you're like, I don't have nothing to give. And it's like, yeah, you do. And that's what started you on this journey. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. It's Sarah saying talk about and that's truly what happened after my health scares and whatever and I literally you know was a bed bound for a long period of time years and years and so I'm laying in this darkened room I've earplugs in I've headphones on I can't tolerate noise and sound and light and none of that 
And so feeling a little bit sorry for myself, but not even overly, this was it, you know, and it didn't look like it was going to improve either. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from living at your purpose? I know a bad accident, breakups, and head injuries have plagued my path of purpose. The good news is that People of Purpose has now partnered with BetterHelp, an online counseling platform that will assess your needs from exactly where you are and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There is a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. I know that when we are purposefully and passionately pursuing our visions, it can be so hard to take the big action you need for yourself. That's why I love BetterHelp. BetterHelp is available worldwide from the comfort and ease of your smartphone. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor, call or video chat as often as you need. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses without needing to be in one single city or drive and sit in an uncomfortable waiting room just to have a 30-minute conversation. These conversations have the power to literally change your life. We need to make sure we're having them. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. For me, the sign-up process was so thorough and personalized to exactly what I needed. Within 15 minutes, I was done, and the very next day, I was paired with a counselor with the pedigree to help me think through exactly the questions I have at this stage in my life. Since I've met my premarital Christian counselor, Colleen, I've had enormous insights on where and how to create better boundaries, and even had a session with my fiance while she's in Thailand and I'm in California. It's amazing how powerful and accessible counseling is today with the power of the internet. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Whether you need professional coaching for your business, help overcoming a trauma, or just need a thought partner who would walk through a rocky part of a road with you, BetterHelp wants to help you start living a happier life today. People of Purpose listeners get 10% off your first month. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose. That's betterhelp.com forward slash people of purpose and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And so I'm praying, obviously, saying like, really, you know, what use am I to you like this? And so what comes back to me is, well, no, there is no use to, not much, unless you get out and help some people. And I go help some people. I can't get up from the bed. You want me to help people? This is crazy. And so, but that's the answer I kept giving, you know, that kept coming to me. It helps people. And I go, okay, how can I help people? And so I started writing down my story that happened to me when I ruptured my appendix, when I couldn't tolerate all the different foods. And I go, okay, if it just helps one person, good enough. And and that was my first book. And that's how my first book got published because I got this really strong nudging for my guardian angel, as I call it, that said, go and help some people. And initially that seemed crazy to me because I was the one that needed help. You know, I couldn't even get up. And then I did it. I just, you know, that was a leap of faith, just writing. I didn't want to write my story because I didn't want to be identified like that. I didn't want to be you know, the poor person laying in bed with health issues. That's not who I was. But I thought if I just write down what happened to me, it may help other people. And it did. And that was phenomenal. Right. And writing must have been something that did feel accessible to you because you don't have to get up and move around to do it so much. 
I loved how you described to me in our notes before that you do, you work in your recliner with your industrial strength ear mufflers on. (laughs) I do, absolutely. It's the only way it works. I'm really noise sensitive. If someone were to be talking through closed doors, you know, a few hundred meters away, I can pretty much hear what they're saying. It's crazy. I don't know why I was given this really good hearing, but I do which is nice on the one hand, but very irritating on the other hand, because I can't concentrate when there's these noises. So the only way I can block out the noises is I buy from the hardware store, or my daughters buy for me, these industrial strength ear mufflers that they use at building sites. And then underneath them, I have these orange earplugs. They're phenomenal. They're so good. So I do both. And then sometimes, even then, I need to put some music in between that if it's <laughs> And I don't use music, actually. I use waterfalls. And that is just to muffle all the other sound. And that's how I work. And I love, I absolutely love the silence. Love it. People say, what music is your favorite? And I go, it's nature. It's silence. That's my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I was living in San Francisco this last year, and it's noisy everywhere all the time. And uh, I just started to think, I got back from an international trip to Thailand. And I did a lot of my writing on the plane with earplugs on. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, why can't I just do this in my regular life? So then I started to walk places with earplugs on and get on like the, the train system. It's called the BART in the Muni in town. Mm-hmm. And it would just like cut down the noise like to basically 10 or 15% of what you would hear without them. Mm-hmm. And it just allows you to stay so much more calm and focused and present and peaceful versus all the chaos and hustle and bustle of living in a city. I'm with you on that. I think that they're undervalued. Yes. Um, a low cost thing that can completely change your reality. Oh, it's beautiful because it's near enough like it gives your thoughts back. Because otherwise there's too many distractions and you can't focus. And then on my recliner, that's because of back issues. So I'm sort of reclined and have a keyboard on my lap. And it's, it's just really peaceful and lovely. I love that process. What's the purpose of your writing? What do you think is the reason you choose to do this so often? I love sharing. And after that first book, I realized that for my bedroom, I can actually share with people all across the world. I think writing is one of the best possible mediums available because if I have a message to share that people around me aren't interested in, then you're kind of stuck unless you put it in a book and you publish the book and you get it to the right audience. And yeah, my purpose for writing is really to share messages that I have that may benefit other people, thoughts I have that they may not have thought about, nudge them in the right direction. That's sort of my purpose. And then the feedback I get from readers, that's what keeps me going. Even the bad feedback, because I go, oh, I better improve on this and I better improve on that. But the good feedback is like, you go, yes, you know, that's just awesome. How do you use feedback to evolve your skills in writing? Well, the good feedback, even with that, when they make comments and I go, oh, I can incorporate more of that because clearly people like it. And the bad feedback where they go, well, and she kept going on about this and that. And I go, oh, did I? And then maybe I did two or three times because I tried to get the point across. And then it's a fine balance, isn't it, to think, okay, some people don't appreciate it, but other people, they want to hear it two or three times in different ways because that's how it's going to sink in. And so it's continuously trying to balance what you think people want to hear or need to hear 
with your writing style, it's uh, yeah, it keeps me on my toes, and I like that. Do you think that all of us should be writing? Every person should be writing. Yeah. No, not at all. I think some people are just fantastic with their hands. You know, they're builders. That's how I look at the world. You know, some people are builders. They build houses. They build cars. They build roads, hospitals, and that's what they should be doing because that's what they were born to do. And other people, they are singers, you know, and they have a fantastic voice or they're fabulous teachers and they should be talking and singing. I happen to be a writer, but there's many, there's so many different ways we can share what it is. The thing I think a lot of people don't realize, which I think is really important, even when people are not religious, we will live on forever because, you know, people think, oh, it's the religious mob. They think, you know, they're going to heaven or wherever. But even if you're not religious, once you're gone, your memory will live on in the people around you. And that's really, for me, that was brought home when I thought that I was about to die. And I thought, oh dear, what am I going to leave behind? And I thought, oh, I just cringed by the thought of it. I go, no, please give me another chance. I can do better. And that's the thing. You're going to leave stuff behind. And at some stage, what came to my mind was my messy drawers at home I was going to leave behind. I didn't want to leave that behind. But just the life you leave behind, how you make people feel, the things you can do, how you contribute. And to be aware of that every single day, it'll make a massive difference to your life on how you live your life. Hmm. I love that. So your story was that you had never really written books and then all of a sudden you had a guardian angel that helped you write six consecutive books. Yes. How did that happen? How do we find our own version of this guardian angel to just make us totally commit and just do so much in alignment with our purpose? Okay. First, I did actually, as a little child, before I even went to school, I wrote little booklets. You know, these little flip booklets where you draw a stick man and he's running or something and you flip through it. Well, I would do those. <laughs> the other thing I used to do, I would write stories, and this is crazy, about missionaries. Missionaries, is that what you call them? Missionaries. 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 People that yes. go abroad to a developing place or, or even local. Exactly. Build yes. wells and schools and things like this. That's right. Well, for whatever reason, I was going to be one. I was going to be a missionary, so I wrote stories about them. And then one day I'm watching television and there is these missionaries in some faraway country and they're celebrating as a feast and they're being fed live grubs and they're supposed to be eating these live grubs. Mm -hmm. Well, if they wouldn't eat them, that would be very offensive. They didn't have much choice. So the cameraman was zooming in on these missionaries eating these live grubs. And of course, the sense behind it was if they wouldn't eat those grubs, they could become the feast. And it was all very scary. And that was it. I never mentioned missionaries or anything ever again. But I did keep writing these little booklets. Mm -hmm. And so you said, how for other people will they find their purpose or their flavor, whatever it is? Well, for a lot of us, when we were little, we did certain things that we naturally did. The majority of people I talk to resonate with that. They say, oh, when I was a child, all I ever wanted to do was dance. I just danced and danced and danced. But then I grew up and I never danced since. But now I'm older and I'm teaching people how to dance. I just love dancing. We had, we had a friend and he was six. And all he did, he, he built little boxes. 
and he just loved working with timber. And then he became a carpenter. And so it goes for a lot of us when we were little, there was something that resonated with us that we were good at, that we enjoyed doing. And we somehow lose that as we go to school and we start learning in our first job. But often enough, it comes back to you. Well, for me, it was writing. So I did it when I was very little. Then I got married Then I, you know, managed the clinics and then I got sick and I got back to writing. I'm not saying that it works for everyone, but for a lot of people, it works like that. The other thing, how a garden angel can kick your butt, a lot of people, as I mentioned earlier, they're looking for their purpose. They're looking to find themselves. And what they're overlooking is that where they are is where their purpose is. And that's why they've been placed there. And for most of us, our purpose is doing that one thing that we were born to do that only we can do. Like, for instance, in my world, I'm the godmother of my godson. I'm the mother of my two daughters. Well, I'm uniquely placed in life in that position. No one else can fulfill that role. It's only me who can do it. Usually, it's actually quite challenging that whatever that purpose is. You may not always necessarily want to do it, but you are the one person in life that can uniquely fulfill that role. So where is it in your life? What were you good at when you were little? Where is it in your life that you've been placed that you uniquely can fulfill that role? then embrace it. Don't try to run away from it. Don't try to find a purpose elsewhere. Embrace that. And if you don't quite like it, or you want to improve on it, just take one step in the direction that you want to go. Just one step. So that's what I would say, yeah. I love that. Yeah, totally agree with that. that Our inner child already knows what our purpose is. Exactly. So your last book is called Live Your Best Life by Writing Your Own Legacy. When I'm thinking the word legacy, I know I never thought of that as a child. And I feel like most children probably don't. That sounds like an old person thing to think about. Mm -hmm. Like your grandparents are probably thinking about that while you're thinking about how to play and be a kid. And But they both have purpose in them. How does our childhood sense of purpose relate to our legacy? Well... Can I put it this way? When you say legacy is an old person thing, and I thought the same, I never saw that the life we live and the story we create with living our life becomes our legacy. And as I was living my life and I had my children, I had this dream that I was going to leave my children in a house because to me, that was a nice legacy to leave my children. And a lot of people do that indeed. Well, because of my illnesses and all kinds of other reasons, I haven't been able to do that. When I read the Bible more, I thought, but what I can leave them, and which is way more valuable, is that sense that we can contribute to life rather than take from life, that we can have the good forces come through us and encourage that. And so I build a house, and it's called Mosaic House. And what lives at Mosaic House are scripture cards and verses. And it's on a website. I'll send you a link. It's free scripture cards. And you can visit that site and click on a card and you can send it to your friends. And I thought, that's what I want to leave my children. I want to leave my children what I learned from scripture in how to live a really good and decent life. And that is worth much, much more than money, houses, and all that. So I'm really happy that my perspective changed there because I don't have to work hard for money anymore (laughs) because it's not about that. And we all know that. 
we all know that's nothing new what i'm saying here right yeah so you've written six best-selling books now and this most recent one is about legacy what is that legacy you want to leave in this world how would you summarize that is that the same as your purpose statement i'd like to be able with living my life helping other people to become aware every single day that life is a gift it is precious it is something to be grateful for and to be able to share your life with others in a way that once you're gone there's going to be a good memory and a good feeling and you've contributed people nowadays talk about not leaving a footprint i would absolutely love to leave a massive footprint of you know good decent energy and inspiring people to every day live their purpose to live a life that they consider worth living that would be what i would like to leave behind hey guys this is your people of purpose podcast host tanner badgley would you find value in receiving a very short email every other weekend that helps you grow on your path to purpose the people of purpose newsletter or pop for short is an email where I share with you the most interesting things I've recently discovered, have been thinking about, or implementing into my life to help you more purposefully pursue your purpose. It will include a short story, some words of wisdom to help you be more purposeful during your day, and an update on how the last guest has inspired me and how they can inspire you too. So take a small step of action right now by sending a quick email to peopleofpurposepodcast at gmail.com letting us know you would like to receive the POP newsletter. Just include People of Purpose newsletter in the subject header and you'll receive the very next one. Here's to becoming People of Purpose. I understand when people say not leaving a footprint. I understand. Yeah, that's about carbon dioxide. Tongue in cheek, yeah. <laughs> tongue in cheek here. Yeah. Love it. Hmm. What techniques do you use to teach people or inspire them to live this best possible life and leave behind this? personal legacy well what i mentioned earlier with regards to going back to your childhood realizing that where you are is actually your purpose but how it came about for me was when i thought that i was about to die and i thought that a number of times throughout my life at some stage my mind went back to my house and it thought about all the messy drawers and I, I was literally cringing. And then I imagined standing at my funeral and listening to people talking about me. And I didn't want to hear what I had to say. I literally didn't want to hear it. I go, no, because my life is not finished yet. I haven't even started. And so then I got back home and I started writing my own eulogy as in how I wanted it to be, not how it would be had it happened you know a few weeks ago but how i wanted it to be and then crazy enough very shortly after that indeed i started publishing the books because i hadn't published the book yet but i wrote about me being this author and i published all these books and i done this and i done that and they were dreams they were this is what i wanted to do and it took no time at all from writing my eulogy to be, as I call it. And I had to call it eulogy to be because my girls freaked out when they heard that I was going to write a eulogy. One, actually, this is what happened. One of them freaked out and said, you cannot write your eulogy. And I go, okay, we call it eulogy to be. And the other one was even funnier. She said, ah. oh, you didn't even 
factor me in. I thought I was important in your life. Well, when I, <laughs> so that was funny. And she's actually sitting right next to me. And so I'd only written six pages because I just discovered at Amazon that you can publish a book of six pages. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. I write a six-page eulogy. After she said that, I said, okay, back to the drawing board. The book became 30 or 40 pages. And actually in the six pages, she was referenced eight times, but she'd missed it. And so then I wrote her in and now she is going to give me lots of grandkids and there's all sorts of. I think I kind of regretted making that comment afterwards because I'm now a big feature. and I'm not sure if I'm going to live up to all of the expectations in this eulogy. <laughs> so never regret having high expectations for your life exactly so it was just in the end it became a really fun exercise it is what if everything that i would want would actually happen and i just wrote it myself and to be honest it's still quite embarrassing to do that because it's putting it out there and it isn't massive expectations either i'm not someone that expects you know to go overseas and help all these people uh, you know, build villages and all that. I don't have anything like that. It's very minor. My design. Yeah, well, good for you. Good for you. But you see, I haven't, I didn't even have any of that. My expectations are minor, but I wrote it down for the simple reason to encourage people and to inspire them, come up with their own. And it's always easier when you have an example, then you can go, oh, is that all she can come up with? Yeah, well, duh. I just wrote it down to help you. But so for me, whatever I wrote down, happened. I wrote the books and I wasn't walking very well or comfortable at the time. Now, well, I fell off a horse since and I broke my back. So I'm working on that again. But the majority of things, yeah, they've all come true. So it's time for an update and write another eulogy to be. It's a fabulous exercise. I love that. So it's past present in a way, like you're explaining things as if they've already happened anticipating that they will and you're calling it to be because you know that those will be fulfilled and you have a new set of of things in your legacy to construct through your story. There's actually a word for that, Tenor. It's called reverse engineering your life. Right. Yeah. I'm very familiar with reverse engineering. It's a big concept in entrepreneurship. I just went to master's of education program and you're thinking backwards about how you had to match a curriculum to your unit, to your lesson to your assessment to your mm-hmm. activities all these things i'm imagining you have a unique way of reverse engineering your eulogy can you explain your process yeah the reverse engineer there's actually a whole system to it and we should have grabbed one of the books and i could go through it but i don't actually have one right in front of me here so let's see if i can you can get one oh, sunrise will get one and then we can go through because there's actually steps to it And it starts off something like, you know, how you have friends talk about you. Mm -hmm. And so instead of knowing that certain friends say, oh, you know, she's always messy and she's never on time and whatever, you get your friends to talk about you in really good ways, such as she's very punctual and the house is always nice and tidy. And the funny thing is you go, yeah, but how does that work? That's not going to work because that's not who you are. But it does work. And I'm sure that you know what I'm talking about because once you put it out there now it can become tangible and so then it becomes something that you start to live up to and the same with qualifications if you've never acquired any particular qualifications but you would like to write them in your eulogy say that you became the best 
I don't know, the best um, stand-up pedal surfer in the world. I don't know. I would like that. And then you'd be surprised what happens. Because usually what we do, we moan about it. Oh, my parents, they never let me get an education. And I didn't manage to save up because then I had children and it never happened. And that's all the negative talk that we do. But we should drop the negative talk and we should do what we would like to happen. And the moment you start writing it down, then somehow it becomes real. It's near enough scary, but it's very, very true. So at the end of the book, there's a template, but actually on my website, there's a free template. So I can send you a link to that. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I'm imagining if anyone's listening right now, they too would be very curious about what kind of template they could follow. Okay. How do you reverse engineer your life? You speak out blessings over your life instead of curses. So for instance, you don't like your boss and he doesn't like you. Don't go around complaining about it. But make your eulogy to be say something to the effect that you have a wonderful relationship with all employers and that you add value wherever you go. And a similar thing with your mother-in-law. She's not keen on you and she sets you up for failure. That's actually quite common that that happens. Why don't you refer to her as your bestie in your eulogy to be? And you praise her cooking skills. And then you casually leave those notes laying around for her to read. It's kind of those things, you know, your children won't behave. Well, express what you want, not what is in your eulogy to be. You say that you relish all the time you spend with your children and their exemplary behavior, particularly in stressful situations. <laughs> you see, how does it work? It just does work. It opens your mind to other possibilities that are preferable over what you have at the moment. And then your subconscious mind somehow sets out to create what you've put in writing as if it is already a reality. And then people say, yeah, but it doesn't work. And I go try it and you'll see it works. Okay. Yeah. And it's a principle. Actually, my daughter just reminded me, Scott Allen, he's a friend of mine, author. And in one of his books, he wrote about research that was done with Russian athletes. And I learned this when I wasn't able physically to get up. And the research showed that the athletes with the best outcome and the most prizes were the ones that did 75% of their time, they worked on the mental aspect. And only 25% of time, they worked on the physical aspect of their training. Mm -hmm. And that's crazy, crazy figures. And most of us forget that. And so that's what that reverse engineering is all about, that mentally you prepare and then the rest will follow. Yes. My Mm -hmm. yoga teacher in India was also a neuroscientist himself. He was a doctor and he was saying that when someone is injured and cannot perform athletically, if they go through the motions in their head about everything that they're going to do, say they're like a rock climber, they know what it feels like to hold the rock and they imagine themselves going step by step up it. When they're doing like that, they're getting 70, 80% of the workout done. Exactly. Um, Yeah. You're firing those nervous system pathways and those muscles activated and you're feeling the hormones of being in that activity That's it. it's really powerful yeah it is really powerful and it's amazing and and even some people you know say you want to become a runner i heard about one runner and i can't remember his name at the moment but he didn't have the opportunity to actually go out training so what he did right next to his bed he would train on the spot and he would run on the spot and he'd do that i don't know for a couple hours every day to run on the spot And he won all the races. 
Wow. And so, yeah, and everyone would think, well, you need to go out, you know, do the terrain, do this, do that. But he couldn't, but he wanted to be a runner. And so he did what he could, and it was good enough. And I think it's often like that. You just do the best you can, and you just take that one step, whatever it is. Instead of complaining, oh, I can't be a runner, just do what you can. And he did, and it worked. I love that story. and It reminds me of the story of the four-minute mile. Like Nobody thought that that could be broken. And after that was broken, I think there was more than 100 people in that same year that broke the four-minute mile time just because right. of the psychological barrier. That's right. That's right. Well, another thing in my life, I wanted chooks because I eat mainly organic and I wanted my own chooks. And uh, for whatever reason, I wanted what chooks, chooks ch uh, chickens, chickens. Ah, okay. Yeah, in Australia, we call them chooks, sorry. We also yeah. call them chickens. We do both. So, <laughs> so chickens, I wanted chickens. So I keep talking about it, but I never did anything to get them. You know what I mean? I didn't go to the shop. I didn't put an ad in. I just kept talking about it. And one day, a friend showed up and she bought me two chickens, two chooks. And from that, then I said to my daughter, you know what I would really like? I would like colored eggs. And now, did you know that you could get colored eggs? I now have pinkish, brownish, green, and blue eggs. How wow. crazy is that? Yeah. And so, and that was just talking about it. I never actually did anything myself. This was other people. Then a friend, a neighbor, he showed up and he brought the one, yeah, a green leg air. And, and so, yeah. And my daughter got two blue ones. And she even got some, what are they called? Quails, and they lay speckled eggs. So, <laughs> That's awesome. so you can imagine, yeah, our breakfast table with the green and the blue and the pinkish and the speckled. It's gorgeous. I didn't do anything myself. I just spoke about it. Mm. Yeah. But I believed it would happen. Yeah. So I'm wondering what this world would look like if people weren't conditioned to think a certain way. When you're 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, you're very impressionable. And at the same time, you have all these amazing ideas where it's like, what if you just tried something completely differently? But then over time, it seems as if the elders in our life and the traditional systems that we've come into kind of squash a lot of that eager enthusiasm to try things new and out of the box. And we find ourselves living a very linear life with a plan and following through with that plan and not really making these pinnacle experiences rooted in our purpose. What did you have to unlearn to find your purpose? Was there some of that programming going on in your upbringing? Oh, very much so. But actually I have some advice for people who feel that way because for a long period of time in my life, it was near enough a decade, I, physically, I couldn't do much, but my mind was still working. And so similar to these young people that have all these plans and all these ideas, but life gets in the way, if you like, and you can't manifest what you actually would like to. Well, I kept thinking and I kept building in my mind and I kept, you know, wanting certain things to be a certain way without actually being able to put it in place. You know the expression, building sandcastles in the air? Have you heard of that? Or building castles in the air? No. No, it's an expression. I don't know if it's Australian, but it is people and they have these grandiose ideas, but they're sort of like pipe dreams, you know, nothing right. ever comes from it, right? And they call them building castles in the air. Well, I've done it for years and years and years. There is nothing wrong with that. You have those castles 
all you need to do now is lay down foundations. Once you lay down the foundations, all the plans and all the ideas, they're already there. And so it's not like people say, oh, you're just a dreamer or, you know, you're not practical. It doesn't matter. And so if you are in a period of your life where you have all these ideas and these plans, but there's people around you that hold you back, don't worry about it. Keep dreaming, keep building. And then as soon as you have the opportunity, you find a mentor, you do a course, you save a little bit of money if that's what you need. Whatever it is, you get a colleague to help you or a friend and you lay down the foundation, and the castle will come down, and I'll sit comfy on the foundations. And that's what's been happening for me again and again and again. I'll tell you another example of that. And it's kind of funny. Is there time for it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I wanted a recumbent bike. Do you know what a recumbent bike is? No, that's a big word for me. Okay. You know the ordinary bicycle, but there's other bicycles, and you can actually lay down in them. You may have seen them somewhere in yeah, the street. These reclining things. Yeah. Okay, That's yeah. it. They That's it. Cool. I've never been in one. It's fabulous. Well, it's all I ever wanted. But my daughter said to me, well, mom, they cost a lot of money. There's something like $12,000 or something crazy. She says, I can't get you a recumbent bike, but I'll get you a horse. And this was to get my back better right? Because my back, she said, it needs to get some airflow, some blood flowing in your back again will get you a horse. Well, that didn't quite work out because it kicked me off and I broke my back in three places. And this happened a few months ago. And as I'm laying in the hospital for a couple of months for my back to recover, my daughter is walking around in a town, which is not our town, but the next door town. And she's walking around and she sees a lady in a recumbent bike. And she says to the lady, Oh, that's so awesome. My mom wants one. Where did you get it? And guess what? The lady says, well, I have a spare one. Would your mom want to buy it? So my daughter comes back. She goes, would you want to buy it? And I go, oh, that's so expensive. She wants, you know, too much money for it. Anyway, my daughter went back and the lady sold it to us for an absolute song. She heard my story, what happened. She goes, no, I don't need two or three bikes. Your mom can have mine. And so here for years and years and years, I wanted a recumbent bike. And there it came. Now you can say I had to break my back to get it, but <laughs> it arrived. So that's another story. I actually didn't do anything. I just kept saying I want a recumbent bike. I did put a little money aside for it every now and then, but I just wanted a recumbent bike. And now I've got one and it's beautiful. And I actually go out all the time on rides on my recumbent bike. Wow, I love that story. That's another story of putting it out there saying like, this is part of my life journey, this will happen at some point and having the faith in that. And then we don't ever know how things bring us to that. You obviously had to get on a horse and break your back, but you found it. That's right. Be careful what you ask for because you're very likely to get it really. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So as we like wind down this interview, I want to know what it is that you've been asking for recently. And what it is that, let's say you have another 20, 30, 40, 50 years to live. What is it that you're after out of that time? And, and how does that root it in your purpose? For me, it's continuing my writing because I have a lot of stories in me to share that I feel people may benefit from. My purpose is really to continue on the path I'm on, but even sharper and more so with less distraction. I think distraction in my life, I don't know about you, but it's major. 
and I'm working on that to minimize that. Mm -hmm. And um, so you asked what the purpose is yeah. for the future. It's really keeping going where I'm going because I'm very happy with what's happening and I'm thrilled with the support that I feel I'm given with by my faith. That's major to me. And I just want to keep strengthening that and hopefully some other people may get a whiff of it and want some too because that'd be awesome because I just want to share it with other people. Yeah, the peace. That's awesome. Mm, yeah. I don't know how many thousands of miles away from you or you guys would talk about kilometers away. And I have a whiff of it. And I, I noticed that with the air in which you express yourself, the tone that you use, the level of peacefulness and calmness you have as you talk about these different circumstances in your life and kind of why you're living the way you are, that's going to be infectious to people. And yeah, I think that it's been very inspiring to get to know your purpose today. And I'm, I'm excited for that day that I see you in Australia. I'm going to say it now that, that that's going to happen in my future. And then I know it will work out that that, that actually happens. Yes, please. Really looking forward to that. And that'll be awesome. It'll be my first time to Australia. Yeah, awesome. That'll be so good. All right, so we'll be well watching, right? Yes, excited to go yes. well watching with you. Yes. <laughs> sounds lovely. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you for sharing with us today, Mimi. Anything else you want to say before we sign up? Tana, I feel absolutely privileged that I was invited to be on your podcast. Thank you so very much. And I highly recommend that if anyone stumbles across this one to scroll through because I've done that and to sign up to your podcast because there's such uplifting stories and I'm just stoked. That's an Australian word for very happy uh, that I came across your podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much for that endorsement. Have a wonderful, purposeful week, year, month, decades, and life. Amen. So what actionable step are you going to take next? Do you have a lingering question? Or is there something we can help you work through to figure out and reach your purpose? People of Purpose is here for you. Just send us an email or a message on Facebook. If you want continued inspiration, subscribe to the podcast and soak in the stories and words of our insightful guests. Do you have any friends that might enjoy this podcast? Bring them on board as a podcast subscriber. And if you want to actually see the guests behind the voices, as well as receive daily inspiration, follow the podcast and journey on Instagram at People of Purpose Podcast or at People of Purpose on Facebook to join our purpose-seeking community. By joining, you will know the minute each new episode is published, hear first about upcoming People of Purpose news, and receive regular tidbits of inspiration I'm purposely perusing, pursuing, and pondering. It's simply a regular dose of goodness, intentionally filtered by me to nourish your path to purpose. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please post a review wherever you listen to it. Doing so will not only help us to grow, but will also allow your voice to be heard, and who knows who you could inspire. Cheers, and here's to becoming.